The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Franklin, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Isaiah 9-6 and Psalm 103, 11-19. Isaiah 9-6 For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Psalm 103, 11-19 For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him, and his righteousness to children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commands. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mary Linda, for reading that scripture for us. Uh, again, uh, if we haven't met, my name's Nate Evans. I'm our director of students and families here at Christ Prez Cool Springs. Uh, I'm honored and excited to bring God's word to us this morning. So this Advent, we've been in a series on Isaiah 9-6, where we've been kind of like honing in on these various titles that are to be given to the child born to us, the son that is given, right? He is our wonderful counselor our mighty God, and this morning we get to to take a a closer look at Everlasting Father. And as I just mentioned, I've been at Cool Springs for almost a year now, and I remember writing in a little introductory email something of like, you know, I'm so excited to be here. And I remember getting to say, like, I'm really excited, I'm honored and privileged at the opportunity to get to know each of you and to know your stories, to know how the Lord has called you to himself, the things that he has brought you through. And I celebrate getting to know so many of you and and parts of your stories. And knowing many of your stories, I'm keenly aware this morning, reflecting on the idea of a father, an everlasting father is one that can kind of hit in a lot of different ways. There can be a lot of ways that we carry pain at the idea of father. Um, And so whatever that is, I just, I want want you to hear me say, I, I see you. And the Lord sees you. And so my prayer, what I want to do, just, just pray that the Lord would reveal to us what kind of father that he is to us. So would you join me in, in praying for that now? Heavenly Father, um, we just ask that you, Lord, would speak through your word. That you would tell us about the kind of father that you are to us. Lord, that you would reveal to yourself yourself to us as you are, and that we would just be, Lord, humbled and moved, as always, Lord, to worship. Um, We ask this in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, 
and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So I want to open with a little softball question, like slow pitch softball. Who is this text written about? Who is it? You can say it. Jesus, that's right. Insert the the church answer. Jesus, that's right. This text is being prophetically written about Jesus, that is God the Son. And I'm curious if anyone else, if it hits me, like, do you kind of like find that a little bit strange or interesting, odd perhaps, that Jesus, God the Son, is being called here everlasting Father, right? Like what's, what's going on there? The second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's the one who's being called everlasting Father. What's, what's the deal there? So let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, I think of John chapter 5. Um, Jesus heals this man on a Sabbath, a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. He tells him, get up, take up your mat and walk. And he does, right? And so because of this, uh, some Jewish leaders are on Jesus's tail. They're beginning to persecute him and even seeking to kill him because in their view, he's not only broken the Sabbath, but in the process, he's equated himself with God, calling him his own father, right? So they're on his tail. And here's what Jesus says in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise, right? So the son only does what he sees the father doing, right? If we want to know what God the father is like, we need not look any further than Jesus, the son, right? No greater source. And the men of Cool Springs, we meet on Tuesday mornings, many of us, in that corner right over there for biscuits and Bibles, 6.30. If you're an early riser, come join us. Uh, But they'll tell you, the book of Hebrews that we're studying, how it it begins. Kind of says something similar. It says this, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He, that is Jesus, the son, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So it is by knowing Jesus that we know the Father, by knowing the Son that we know the Father. All that Jesus does, that too the Father does. All Jesus' character, his disposition, that is the Father's character and disposition. And Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. I love this. It's so clear. God the Father is absolutely, completely, and totally to us what he reveals himself to be to us in Christ. But actually, here in Isaiah 9-6, Everlasting Father, this title that's being given to him is actually, it's not the Trinitarian title of God the Father, right? He's not being called, there's, that's kind of confusing, right? What is, what, what is being said is something different. And here's, here's an illustration that comes quickly to mind is, uh, it actually reminds me of my younger sister. She's about five years younger than me. Her name's Michaela. She's a delight. And I kind of reflected uh, over the years, we were talking about this this week, how in certain ways, she let me be like a father to her, right? Like her room was closest to mine. There'd be times when she was younger when 
she'd get scared in the middle of the night and kind of come knock on my door and say, hey, can I sleep in, on your room on the floor? Like, of course. Or times later in life when I was like an upperclassman in high school, she was in middle school, and she let me, our parents let me in certain ways to kind of speak into her life somewhat like a father would, right? To kind of advise and give guidance in small ways, right? And now I'm not her father, obviously, I'm her brother, but she let me be like a father to her, an older brother being like a father. Hold on to that. Fulfilling in some capacity, right? In my case, very small ways, the role of a father. And what is the role of the father? I imagine if we all got out our pens and pencils and we made a little list, like what is, what is a father? What's the role of a father? We'd have a lot of overlap, uh, maybe some, some differences. Here's what kind of comes to mind for me is a father is a provider, right? Meeting tangible needs. A father's a teacher who, who patiently instructs and, and instills knowledge and wisdom and even virtue, perhaps. A father's an advocate who, who pleads your cause, right, to others in public. A father's a leader who directs and guides and makes decisions, perhaps, when decisions need to be made. A father is a, a friend and a companion. I know they're like, I'm not your friend, I'm your father. But in some ways, right, this like, this knowing, mutual knowing and loving and spending time as a friend would, right? A father's a friend. And a father's a protector, right? Someone who defends you from harm, putting themselves in harm way. And that's actually the sense that Isaiah 9, 6 means it, right? The child that is to be born to us, the, the son that is given we be, will be called everlasting father because of the way in which he is our benevolent, our kind protector. So really what's being said is he is our everlasting king, right? He's our king. So what I want to spend the rest of our time doing is looking at Psalm 103 and kind of considering what kind of father is, you can turn now to Psalm 103, what kind of king is King Jesus? And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn now to Psalm 103. We're actually going to start in verse 6. So uh, this is a Psalm of David. David wrote this Psalm and it's actually a, it's a hymn of praise, kind of reflecting on the way that God deals with his people. Right? It's a, he's just kind of gushing. And while these verses are, you know, we could say properly maybe spoken about God the Father, we in the New Testament era, we get to look back and see all the ways in which Jesus, the Son, is so present in these verses. And so there might be some confusion like, wait, are we are right now are we talking about the Father or the Son? And the answer is yes, right? Um, so the background that David has in mind when he writes this is, how the, the way that God dealt with the Israelites after the Exodus, when they're in the wilderness, right? And so starting in verse six, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And so we know God delivered his people from slavery, right? They were oppressed, they cried out, and what did he do? He freed them. He redeemed them, right? Putting on display actually some of the most awe-inspiring works of power in the 10 plagues, right? Actually showing that he, the one true God, is the God over all creation, not like the Egyptians thought, oh, there's a sun God, river God. No, there is one true God, and he works righteousness and justice. He is a just king. He is a righteous 
Father. And his character we know through his acts, right? Through his words and actions, delivering them from slavery. But do you remember how Israel responded? Do you remember Moses is up on Mount Sinai, right? And God's people are down here and they demand Aaron, Moses' brother, to make for them what? A golden calf. So that they might do what? Worship it as their God who rescued them from Egypt. And if you were God, I'm curious, how might you deal with this people whom you ju- who you love and you just saved in the most miraculous ways and they almost immediately turn and start worshiping idols? How would you deal with them? Would you give them what their actions deserve on the spot? The just penalty for idolatry, by the way, is death. Yikes. Exodus twenty two twenty, And actually, the first two commandments, which I imagine Moses had probably in his hands in this very moment, the first of which says what? You shall have no other gods before me or besides me. No other gods. And the second one is what? You shall not make for yourself a, a carved image, an idol. So no other gods before me. Worship me only and don't make idols. And in a matter of seconds or whatever, you know, like they've, they've messed them both up. And how did God deal with them? How did he treat them? Praise, praise God, by the way, that you and I, we're, we're not God, right? He's different. And actually, there were, there were some who, who actually died as a, as a result of this community's grievous sin, which is a very, it's a humbling, convicting reminder of the gravity of our sin, right? The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But how does God deal with his people? David kind of gushes in verse 8. He says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Which, these are the very words that God says. He reveals himself with these very words to Moses when he was passing by, when Moses was hiding in the cleft of the rock, right? So that he might see a glimpse of God's glory. This is what God says. This is what God wants you to know that he is. Merciful. Meaning, he doesn't give us what our sins justly deserve. Right on the spot, right? He is gracious. He gives us so, so many good gifts that we haven't earned. We don't deserve. And more than that, he is slow to anger. Right? He's abounding in steadfast love. Meaning, our, our, our God, he doesn't get mad at the drop of a hat. Right? The kind of anger that the Lord exhibits is never over the top. It's never in the heat of the moment, like me, and maybe like you. No, he is, he is patient and long-suffering. He puts off his just wrath. And even as we say that, do you see Jesus in, in that, right? The mercy and grace of God the steadfast love of the Lord, which means unwavering, sure, unshakable, abounding. It's in Jesus. We see him right here in these verses. And we see him too in verses 9 through 13. Let's continue on. He will not always chide. And what does chide mean? Well, it's a kind of tea. No. no. 
That's, no, wait, I, that's, sorry, that was in my notes. Um, uh, chide means to, to scold or rebuke. It's like a very meaningful kind of teaching, right? He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions, our sins, from us. As a father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So the Lord, he chided Israel, right? He rebuked and corrected them in their sin, teaching them patiently as we see throughout the whole Old Testament story again and again and again, and even in our own lives, if we're honest. Idolatry leads only to death. That's the message. And he did not deal with them as their sins deserve. He did not repay them according to their iniquities. And David, who writes this letter, he knew this well, right? Because he had actually committed some grievous sins of idolatry of his own in the form of adultery. The sins really being the same thing, worshiping something that's not God himself. For David, he worshiped a woman or maybe we could say more accurately, himself, his own desires, his own flesh. So, so much so that he actually committed not only that, but murder. He murdered Uriah the Hittite, one of his most valuable, greatest warriors. He committed grievous sin. But did the Lord repay David according to his iniquities? No. In fact, there were actually heavy consequences for David's actions. But actually, these were not punishments, right? Rather, they were discipline. And there's a big difference between punishment and discipline. Punishment is what? Just inflicting suffering and pain for wrongdoing. Like, how dare you do that? You're going to have to suffer. That's punishment. Discipline is very, very different. Discipline is all about teaching. It's from a, a place of love, right? It's about instilling the right path. That's what discipline is about. Hebrews 12.6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises, get this, every son whom he receives. And so a, a father that doesn't discipline doesn't love, right? A father that doesn't discipline doesn't love. I want you to imagine, imagine you have two kids. I know many of you have kids. Imagine you have two kids and one of them just slogs the other one right in the face. And I know you've never seen anything remotely like that, but imagine for just a moment, okay? Imagine in a scenario like that, if you did nothing. Is that loving your children? <laughs> it's certainly not loving the one who got punched in the face. Like you're not defending and advocating for them, but it's also not loving the slogger, right? Why? Because to, to, to let your kid hit the other, the other child in the face and do nothing is basically to say, you can treat people however you want. Other people don't matter. Your sibling, eh, whatever. And that's not right. That's not true. That's not loving, right? A father that disciplines patiently 
instructing, instilling the right path. That's a father that loves. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, Psalm 94, 12. This is how our loving father deals with us. This is actually a a key piece of why David is writing this psalm, this hymn of praise. Our father is, y'all, pleased, so pleased in Jesus to receive us as we are, the mess that we are. But he also doesn't leave us as we are, right? In Christ, we are declared righteous in God's sight, even though we're not righteous. That means we're justified. That's the big old word for it, justified, justification. And yet also in Jesus, through the work of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're actually, over time, we're actually made more like Christ. We're we're actually made righteous, right? We become righteous through his work in our life. That's called sanctification. And both of these, justification, sanctification, are fruits of the Lord's compassion for us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. What does that mean? Those who fear the Lord. It means those who honor and love him, right? Those who consider him the reality of realities, who, who know and claim his, him as not only the creator and sustainer of the universe, but as father, as Lord of our lives. Those are, those are those who fear him. Those are his children, right? Continuing on in verses 14 through 16, for he knows our frame, which means what? He knows how we were made because he made us, right? For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. He who made us knows us better than we know ourselves, right? Every hair on your head is numbered, Matthew 10.30. Our Lord, y'all, knows every part of you. Our Father knows every nook and cranny of your heart. He knows what makes you anxious and what makes you angry. He knows the things that you run to when you're feeling overwhelmed and tired and scared. He is fully aware of our struggles and he knows our Sins. And he remembers too that we are dust. That which he formed us and breathed from his very lungs, the breath of life, making us in his own image with value and dignity and responsibility over creation. And yet, we're dust. We're, we're, our days are fleeting, they're so short. We are limited. But compare that with. Verse 17, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. I don't know if any of you are Marvel fans who watched Loki. It's kind of an interesting show. There's a villain in there who goes by the name He Who Remains, 
right? The idea is like at the end of time, he's the last man standing, right? And we can kind of, sort of wrap our heads around never ending, right? Just like imagining this, but like keeping on, keeping on forever, right? We can kind of understand never ending. But y'all, what we can absolutely not wrap our limited human minds around at all is this idea of never beginning, right? We just, we, we can't quite do it. We can't quite fathom what that looks like, right? The great I am who has always been, who is the reality of realities, eternity in two directions, right? who was and is and is to come. And it is that eternal one, (laughs) eternal one who has no beginning, no end, the alpha and the omega, who is, (laughs) he has a kind of love for you that is as immeasurable and vast and uncontainable as he is himself. That's amazing. How do we know that? We know because of the Son, right? God who took on human flesh. We sang last week, so sing out with joy for the brave little boy who was God, but he made himself nothing. He, it is Jesus the Son, who has been like a father to us, our older brother being like a father, providing our every and deepest spiritual need teaching us his ways and through his spirit, writing his laws on our heart, advocating on our behalf at the the, the side of the father, which he must see the father doing if he's doing it, leading us by his spirit, being our friend who never leaves us and never forsakes us. And he protects us as our benevolent king, not just from outside forces, but from our own sin putting himself in harm's way. I don't want to let John Owen, the great Puritan, have the last word. Here's what he says. This is the will of God, that he may always be eyed, he might always be seen as benign, kind, tender, loving, and unchangeable, as the great fountain and spring of all gracious communications and fruits of love. This is that which Christ came to reveal. Let's pray. Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we praise you for who you are. The grass withers, the flower fades, but Lord, your word stands forever. And you, O God, are greater and vaster than we can fathom. And so too, Lord, is your love for us. You are our king. And yet, Lord, you do not treat us as lowly, measly subjects, Lord, but you treat us as children, beloved children, because that is what we are. Because you have given us the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. And thank you, God, that you, through Jesus, have kept the covenant for us. By your grace, you declare us righteous in your sight, in Christ. Lord, we don't have to earn your love and favor. But Lord, may we respond to you 
respond to your love with lives that glorify you and reflect the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, Lord, like you, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And Lord, too, I want to just pray for those who in the room of, of, of all different kinds who the word Father has a measure of pain. And I just, Lord, ask that you would heal those wounds as you do, as only you can do. Would you bring healing? And Lord, we just, we long for the day, Father, when you will redeem and make all things new, when every broken thing will be made whole. That's our hope, Lord. You are our hope, our everlasting Father. And it's in your name that we pray, amen.